0: Welcome to Hidden Gems Toronto, the podcast that introduces you to a variety of fascinating people and places that fly under the radar, but are a vital part of our city's fabric. I'm your host, urban geographer Tom Scanlon, and I invite you to don your virtual hiking boots and join us as we track down these compelling stories. Walking around Toronto, you can't help but notice An emergence of colorful paintings on buildings, in tunnels, and at traffic signal boxes on the side of the road. But what you may not realize is the magnitude of this development. The numbers are staggering. Since its inception 10 years ago, a creative city run organization known as Street Art Toronto, or more affectionately called START for short, has given more than 1,000 artists the opportunity to create in excess of 2,000 murals, among other things. The city has become a world leader at changing urban landscapes into a living canvas for art. We did a little digging, and the more we dug, the more questions we had. Fortunately, we were able to track down the one person who has all the answers. Catherine Campbell has been the project manager at START for the past seven years. And as you will soon learn, the process of working with artists and communities is just as important to her as the finished pieces of art. The podcast is called Painting the Town Red, and Green, and Blue, and Purple. It's the story of how we are using art to bring colour to our neighbourhoods. Before talking with Catherine, we'd like to play an excerpt from an interview with Amir Akbar, an artist who has been involved with START for more than 10 years.
1: So yeah, I think one of the great things about the program is that um, it's very localized within the community. So each project really focuses on a specific community and where the mural is typically installed, that's the community that uh, we'll engage and work with. And I think if you you do it in the right way and you connect with people in the right way and you value their ideas, their opinions, their thoughts, uh, then that could be a really transformative experience for that community. And along that, alongside that, um, there's also this great mentorship component. Um, as a young artist,
0: uh, you know, trying to find opportunities to get my art out there, uh, street art was really supportive and helpful in that. And one of the things that
1: I try to do in my work is to pay that forward to the next generation of artists and um,
0: give them the same opportunities that I had. Hello, Catherine, and welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, I'm really excited to hear about the street art, but maybe before we get into that, just to to learn a little bit about yourself, what did you do before you uh, came uh, to this nice job?
1: Well, thank you. I studied uh, at OCAD University, so I took a BA there, and I transferred in my second or third year to a new program called Criticism and Curatorial Practices, and I mostly looked at the curation and the educational side of art. And in those years, during the same time, I also worked at the Art Gallery of Ontario. I started as a part-time education officer. And over those years, I worked in all kinds of capacities. So teaching, developing professional workshops for teachers. And I was the lead community artist facilitator for the Arts Access program. And I think that led me into doing an MES, so that's a Master's of Environmental Studies at York. I looked at storytelling for social change, so connecting community arts and kind of like looking at art and taking it into action. So then I applied for the street art job, and I've been with the team for the last seven years.
0: That's an impressive resume. I think it might have been an easy choice for them to to pick you because you sound like the perfect match. But I want to start maybe with street art. And when I started to read about it, I think that a lot of people will be surprised to learn that this such elaborate art program started out as a way to combat graffiti vandalism. I mean, someone had the audacity and I guess the vision to suggest rather than fight with graffiti artists, you invite them to join you, and I thought it's not quite like getting the Hadfields and the McCoys to sit down and work together on a farm, but you get the idea. There must have been some really interesting interactions at the start of street art.
1: Yes, absolutely. I started with the team in 2016, but I've certainly done some background research yeah. and have talked to many colleagues when the program started in 2012. And it was former Mayor Rob Ford that put a crackdown on graffiti. Hmm. And at the time, the graffiti vandalization was costing the city over a million annually. And yeah, there were bylaws that they were looking at at that time. And during those years, the garage doors couldn't be painted. And and I think that uh, there was a real community gathering to support this idea and vision to kind of come up with a plan that and went through a council, but also was producing the new graffiti management plan of the city.
0: You weren't there at the very beginning, but what was the original philosophy or strategy that kind of guided the organization?
1: It was a proactive approach. So during those years, the Toronto Police were also part of the initial conversations with city staff. And, uh, they came up with a kind of a fresh new idea. And it's interesting. Like now when we call Street Art Toronto start, uh, they talked about those years of uh-huh. coming up with a new start and, and again, to bring this proactive approach to combating graffiti. So rather than arresting artists for the graffiti artwork that they were doing, let's, kind of talk to them and come up with an inclusive and balanced graffiti management plan for the city. There was initially, in 2012, a, a community meeting. There were divisional um, policing support unit, city staff, community members, artists that came together and discussed a plan to kind of think about projects that could happen. And then the program started to be developed. Was it a success right
0: from the start, or were there a lot of bumps along the way?
1: Absolutely. I think at the beginning, when they were trying to figure out what constituted as art out there on the street, I think when former Mayor Ford put out the call that he was going to do a crackdown on graffiti, Mm -hmm. I think that originally a lot of that was being cleaned up and painted over. I think what happened was that, and this still happens now, is if you're going to paint over a section of a wall, then you're leaving a fresh canvas for yes. artwork to appear again. And, and so I think they had to take a step back and and kind of come up with different programs that could really support the work and, and really capture the essence of what the artists were trying to say by going out
0: and, and producing the murals. I get the impression of going to your site and talking to different people that you use words like transformation, diversity. It sort of sounds like the trip along the way to creating the art is just as important as the final art. Do you want to speak to that a bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean the old saying goes that it uh it takes a village to raise a uh-huh. child. You know, we often talk about that that it takes a real village to do this kind of work when we talk about transformation, leadership, innovation, including mentorship kind of at the heart of, of the programs. Like there's so much that happens behind the scenes in these projects. Like we look to get uh street permits. The artists have to be on lifts in some cases and they have to get uh their safety certificates so they can work at heights and, and, uh, we have to think about weather conditions and local neighbors and communities. You know, we really have to hold space with those community members and think about bringing together people that can do the community engagement session parts of the project. And we work alongside with multiple curators and artists to, I guess, develop what, what we've called over the last few years, a career ladder for artists, which really, again, includes mentorship at the heart of that process
0: you've got so many programs in place I think there's about 10 different ones but maybe you could just highlight a few of them what what comes to mind for me is the, the traffic signal boxes the laneways the huge murals do you just want to speak to a few of them what exactly is involved here
1: yeah absolutely when I started in 2016 I started as a project lead on the partnership program and you know one of the things I I realized in that program and, and talking to my colleagues at the time is that there were so many endless possibilities and opportunities for artists and their careers and their development. And I think that partnership program was really a flagship program. And we continue to call it that where we give funding for a large scale project that really supports an artist that is in their sort of mid to upper level of their career. And they work alongside with the community to envision a mural that really reflects that community initially when that program started in 2012 it was open to nonprofit organizations and bias to apply and and then we found a real need to open it up to individual artists because they mm-hmm. were ready to kind of pursue that in their career like more than just painting on a wall but actually learning skills like community engagement and mentorship. And it opened up a whole roster of artists that started to apply and do the work across the city. You know, you mentioned the Outside the Box program that just started in 2013, and we're celebrating our 10th anniversary of that program this year. It as well grew into a, a real mentorship program, I think, in the start Of that program, artist was given a location and they brought their paints and they painted the box and then they let us know they were completed and we take a photograph of it. But fast forward to now to 2023, the program has an array of people working on it. We have coordinators out on the street that are working with the artists. We have a curator that's kind of helping us to oversee the whole process. We have a mentorship component. So artists that have never painted in the public realm before, they could meet up with their artist mentor who might show them how to put the design on a box and give them tips and safety tips of how to work out on the street. And, um, you know, we aim to have boxes in every single ward and each year, we do anywhere from 50 to 75 boxes, and we really focus on those hand-painted boxes because, uh-huh. again, it, it connects back to our career ladder uh, for artists. It's a great way to start when you're a mural artist to kind of do something smaller and then build up as you go along. Other programs that we've developed over the years is our health and wellness program. We do workshops for artists that connect with our safety, all those safety certificates that they, they need to do the work we started these programs pre-covid but one of the things that we learned very quickly when covid hit is that we needed to pivot support somehow and and start to produce some of the workshops online but also give opportunities for artists to be able to work outside and i think in the years of covid we were as other people were slowing down we were ramping up uh-huh. and trying to get as many programs and support out there as possible You
0: know, you're on the right side of all the things, and one thing I kind of wonder about, you've got a bit of an environmental background, and I imagine many of your artists do. Has there been any efforts to try to create the art in the most environmentally friendly way? I'm thinking, do you recycle old paint? Do you try to use less aerosol cans? Is that something that's under consideration?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's conversations across public art around looking at the environmental impact and, you know, the spray paint that we use, like all of the cans are recyclable yeah. and we we often have a safety rep that works on the projects with us to make sure our sites are clean and uh, that we're not leaving anything behind when we finish the project. I know some of the companies out there are also looking at making sustainable products. And we're often in conversation with multiple artists that we work with that are really thinking about those things.
0: I kind of thought you'd have a good answer for that, Catherine. You know, when you go to your site and you see the dots that represent every piece of art, it's just mind boggling. I mean, if you stay in your own neighborhood, you might see the odd box, you might see a mural. But when you see the whole city on a map, It's just really impressive. And there's quite a few different themes that seem to come up over and over again. I thought, Catherine, maybe I would choose a couple of themes and ask you to give us an example of each one. One of the themes, for example, that seems to be very important is a real connection to the local community. Do you have an example of one that really does that?
1: Uh Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking when you were saying that, I was thinking back to 2016. When I started with START, there was a project in the partnership program that was with the Leslieville BIA. And I was then, I think, formally Ward 30 in, in Councillor Fletcher's ward. And the group was looking at a mural that they were replacing. And they did an artist call for that particular project and I think that particular mural was very dear to people and so they had to do their due diligence in the community and really kind of put out a a call and have multiple you know stakeholders gather together and discuss the outcome of this mural and that was one of the first projects that I had to help manage from the street art side and there were so many moving parts to that particular project and it's interesting as we say that there's so much more than the paint that goes on a wall when you're creating a project. Mm-hmm. But you have to think about all the things that you need to get in place. So, you know, we go to a site visit and realize that there's wires in front of the wall and they have to be covered by hydro in order for the artist to be on a lift. Uh-huh. Uh, and that that project as well, it had a TTC bus shelter in the front of the wall as well that we had to get moved so that the artist could paint we had to get the permit for the sidewalk and and everything. And, you know, the really great thing about that project is they had community members that were really working on it and were helping us along the way as well, like with all of those challenges. So many individuals were invested in it and they hired an artist named Elixir, uh, who did a fantastic job. and And they came up with a little quote for that project, which is, in days of yore on Leslieville shore, put down your phone and daydream under a maple tree. And so Elixir took that and he took a figure and then wrote uh, underneath Leslieville, underneath in his graffiti style. People yeah. loved it. And if you go there to the corner uh, now of Queen and Jones, the, the mural is still there. It's stunning and people are very proud of it.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Wow. Okay. Another theme. It seems that many artists are either supporting a cause or fighting an injustice. Do you have an example of one that really addresses that issue?
1: I've seen a lot of artists have these personal interests. And I'm thinking of artist Jackie Comrie, who, who uses color uh, to support mental health and wellness. And uh, she's recently produced a mural as a partnership with Sinai Health which is again a stunning mural. I think the people that are looking outside of the hospital at Sinai can look over and see this beautiful color palette. Um, But it also has so much more meaning the way that she strategically places the color. She's done a lot of research over what color, how color moves us and how color can can make us feel a certain way. there's also other projects that I'm thinking of the Butterfly Lane with the partnership with the David Suzuki Foundation and artist Nick Sweetman, who you know, is an artist that is really committed to the environment. And so he took upon himself to connect all of these artists that were doing these different pollinators and they produced a few laneways in Toronto that really speak to that. Yeah. And that also gives opportunities for, you know, environmental educators or teachers to kind of go out and take a walk with their students and, and learn a little bit about
0: uh, some of these pollinators and mm-hmm. see the beautiful artwork. And each one tells just a great story, right? Eh? Absolutely, yes. Catherine, I know in recent years, there's been an emphasis on Indigenous art. Have a listen to these comments from Kat Curran, an Ojibwe artist, as she talks about the impact of Street Art Toronto on both Indigenous artists and their art.
2: So whenever I think about uh, Street Art Toronto, I always think about uh, spirit on the walls. It's something that um, I've, I've come to be, it's almost a mantra, I think, is when I'm walking down the streets of this great city and I get to see some of these murals, I get to meet the artists. Uh, when we get to see some of our Indigenous artists out there painting in tradition or uh, outside of traditional uh, artistic elements um, and sharing their stories and their messages um, on all so many different types of surfaces across this great city. Um, uh, Street Art Toronto has become uh, a mainstay, I think, in terms of really uh, investing in culture, investing in art, um, also supporting truth and reconciliation and that we've been sacred there have been some sacred sites across the, the city of Toronto that have been um, honoured by uh, traditionally uh, relevant and resonant cultural art by our peoples.
0: So a couple of things stand out for me, but the number one thing she said, I thought, is the role that art can play in reconciliation and the fact that they are honouring sacred sites. That's quite profound.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think that I've learned an incredible amount about uh, Indigenous community and and teachings from some of the artists that have partnered with us on projects. You know, I think that, that a lot of them connect with their elders and seek permission to be able to share these stories And then often after they've painted them, they'll have a conversation or there'll be a launch of that project. You know, they're continuing those stories and sharing them. Some of them are directly on on large-scale underpasses, like the mural at Lower Simcoe by artist Hannes Nielsen, who on one side of the mural uh, of the underpass, for instance, is honoring elders, uh, on one side and, and on the other, honoring water and the land. And so I think those are the messages that we continually need to, need to hear and support our Indigenous artists to keep creating these
0: projects. You know, another thing that crossed my mind, if you're driving a car, you just don't see the art in the same way. You kind of whiz by, you're looking out your window, you're paying hopefully attention to driving. Is one of your goals to get people out of their cars because when you walk around and you see those murals and these laneways and you go on the ravines, it's it's totally different.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we really see it in some of the underpasses that we've done in, in yeah. various parts of the city. You know, you're driving by and and you're right. You see it and you with blinking in the eye. You missed it. You know, there's color there. But we kind of forget people that people actually live around those areas. And I think that... People are always walking on the sidewalk, uh, and they get to experience these murals and, and that program has been so successful, you know, particularly out in some of the areas in North York and uh, Etobicoke and Scarborough to bring these kind of massive murals that uh, again have this connection to the community. We have some pieces that are near cycle tracks. We've been doing a lot more concrete barriers that go on the on the side of the cycling tracks. We have, over the last few years, we've created a map with a partnership with the Code for Canada. And, you know, people can look at the map and then take down some notes and go out and experience these pieces. And, and so, yes, we have seen a lot of Groups that are connecting to them, there's a runners group and cycling groups, and and yeah, we're part of transportation services, so that active transportation is really
0: important to us.
1: Right: Oh,
0: man, there's so much going on. You really have blanketed the whole city. I've listened to some of the artists talk about the work, and they seem to always mention how creative it is and how much they enjoy working with the community, but they also get paid, correct? And can you talk a bit about that?
1: Absolutely, Tom. That's a really great question. I think that is one of the most important things is, is that we talk about it in our work is honoring our artists yes. and thinking about the the payment process. We have different ways that, that artists can engage and apply for the various fundings, but we definitely look to paying the artists a fair wage for these projects and they need to come to the table with so much experience. You know, I think about, you know, that you wouldn't want to go into a hospital and be operated on by somebody that, you know, doesn't have a lot of experience. And it's almost the same thing when an artist goes to one of these large scale walls. It's incredible the amount of experience that they have in order to to put up these large images, if you have a chance to stand and watch them with the spray paint and, yeah. and the amount of skill that they have, and I think that takes some years to to hone in, and and we we'll really need to uh, kind of come up again with a fair wage for them for these projects. Well,
0: I'm so glad to hear you say that. I, I just think for so long, artists we just feel well, they're lucky that we give them the opportunity to do this, but they're really contributing to the city, and they should be paid accordingly. Absolutely.
1: I think that it's just as important to think about uh, the various payments in the these these projects. These are professional artists, and this is what they do for a living. So it's super exciting to, to know that we have so many talented artists in Toronto.
0: I know other cities have different programs. In Philadelphia, for example, that any publicly funded development has to include an art project. And I think they have 350 creations of art, but that is small potatoes compared to what we have here in Toronto. Are we a leader in this regard? Are are other cities or countries, do they contact you for advice on how to run a program like this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that the one thing that is unique about our program is that we're not only putting murals out there, we're really looking at the artist's career. So Yeah, I think we're unique in that way. Our Outside the Box program, for instance, really has been popular with other destinations within Ontario. So we've had quite a few towns, cities reach out to us and and also across Canada. We've had conversations with Hamilton, who has uh, specifically looked at Outside the Box and they've produced one of their projects. We've talked to Peterborough and Mississauga and Mm -hmm. Brampton and Niagara Falls and in the city of Ottawa and Edmonton. And then we've heard from some other cities in South Africa, there's a group called Baz Arts. They have a very similar program to ours where they really support artists. So we've done an artist exchange with Frankfurt and with Chile and recently a talk that represented our program in Brisbane, Australia. So so yeah, it's <laughs> really exciting. There. Yes. Yeah. And it's exciting for Toronto artists to kind of know that there's there's all kinds of opportunities out there as well. So, Catherine,
0: on a personal level, it must be really gratifying for you to just walk around the city, and everywhere you turn, you see art that you played a role in bringing it to life, and that must really warm your heart.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it's just to uh, so basically travel and, and witness the uniqueness of each project and how how different projects are produced in different wards. I, I remember when. Uh, one of the projects that I was a part of, a project that was, uh, initiated out of the East Scarborough Boys and Girls Club and artist Amir Akbari. He, he was working with a group of youth and, uh, it was my first project of traveling out to Scarborough. And I just re- recall this evening it was a really rainy night and the mural was produced on the side of a local music store. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm so. You know sad that it's raining, but I get there, and everybody's spirits were oh, up. oh my they couldn't stand outside, so the the owner of this music store invited us all to come in when everybody celebrated the youth, the local counselor arrived and gave the youth certificates and 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 then we went out and and when it stopped raining, and we took some photos in front of the mural and you know I just just felt the energy in that room and the support and how proud the youth were. And fast forward now to 2022 they were still working on projects, but some of those youth have now been doing their own large-scale murals and I, I think that's what has been so exciting for me to witness is is how these artists' careers unfold and and how different projects across the city are welcomed.
0: Well I was going to ask you what's the best part of your job, but I think you just answered it with that rainy night what are your biggest challenges then?
1: Well I think I maybe mentioned it a little bit earlier about how you never know what's going to happen out, out there uh, on the street when you're producing a project like you know you have a tight timeline and a lot of the artists that we work with you know the the warm months it's a season of work and they often have to pack in a lot of their work during that time and some things can not go right. Like we've ordered a lift and it doesn't show because they've run out of that particular lift or, you know, during COVID, we had lots of challenges with paint deliveries and on you know, product demand. And then sometimes we get community members that are just not happy that the mural is going there and we have to kind of take a pause and, sure. and we have to talk to those, those neighbors and come up with a, an end result that, you know, satisfies everybody. So. The work is is always challenging, but I think that's what makes it so sure. exciting. Yeah, the devil's a, devil's <laughs> yes. in the
0: details, for sure. So, Catherine, do you often take your friends out on a tour to see these pieces of art?
1: I, you know, I brought people to different mural launches. We often have like a a celebratory aspect to the projects, and I think they're a way for people to meet new people and and learn about the diversity of toronto i think with our city motto diversity our strength i think that this project showcases that and my manager randy McLean always talks about the class picture at the end of a project and 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 always every year our class picture of all the artists we work with like really represents diversity and i I think that that's something that always inspires people. And one thing that I've noticed since I've been doing this work is I can't travel anywhere. Like I can't go to another town or uh, a place without looking at a wall and thinking, oh, that could really use a mural. <laughs> I think I'll always uh, always see yeah. a white wall and want something yeah. on it.
0: <laughs> You're like the editor that uh, goes to a restaurant and just sees typos in the menu and it just drives them crazy. But we always ask a question, but you may have already answered it. You have a good way of answering it ahead of time. You seem to know where we're going, but we always ask, what is it that you like most about living in Toronto? And you can't say street art. That's a
1: really great question. Uh, I I grew up in the Maritimes, so it's Lauren Cape Breton, and I lived in various parts of the Maritimes. And I think that having that experience I feel like I'm a pretty open person like a friendly person and I hear from people that aren't from Toronto and they say oh Toronto's so cold and people aren't yeah. friendly here I don't have that experience I think people are super friendly and you just have to you know approach them and I think people love to share their stories and I, I just love meeting new people and learning about different experiences and just especially like those people that I've come here from diverse countries and places and and people that have grown up here that are, are sharing in the, the fabric of our city.
0: Well, Catherine, I find you and your organization very inspiring. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. It's pretty easy to criticize Toronto these days and give it a bit of a rough time. But when I look at the work of street art, you're bringing color and life to our neighborhoods. And I think it's needed now more than ever. So we really appreciate it the work you're doing.
1: Well, thank you so much, Tom. It's been a pleasure to to be here today and talk, but I, I do want to add that I don't work alone. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely part of a team. We often say that we're a small but mighty team, and I just wanted to give a, a shout out to my colleague Carolyn Taylor and Jason Campbell, Kat Curran, and also colleagues Jody Callen and Christina Hasmanis, who started in 2012, the Street Art Toronto and have really in, inspired me in my work. Of course, my manager, Randy McLean, and Michael Hutchison, who's on leave now, the director of transportation, Barbara Gray. We have incredible colleagues that we work with. And it really takes, like what we talked about earlier, it really takes a, a, a village to Produce this work with all the artists and, and curators and nonprofit organizations we work with. We're creating what we're calling an ecosystem. So we're all working in it together. And, and um, again, thank you for having me.
0: It's great stuff. and It's a bright light for Toronto. So thanks very much, Catherine. you, Tom. We want to give a special thank you to Rick Byan, who provided a lot of background information for this podcast. And if you go to our site, hiddengemstoronto.net, you will find a link to Street Art Toronto. It's really worth checking out. On our final podcast of the season, airing May 1st, you will meet Peter Clutterbuck, who in many ways is the poster child for what the Hidden Gems Toronto podcast is all about. He has spent his entire career flying under the radar while doing work on social policy that has greatly impacted and improved our city. Much like Elizabeth Warren, the Democratic candidate whose famous slogan was, I have a plan for that, well, Peter's mantra has always been, I have a policy for that. You're going to learn a lot about the good and the bad of Toronto from a social planning perspective. We'll see you next month. The Hidden Gems Toronto podcast is edited by Sharon Scammon. Thanks for listening.